we <clears throat> started talking a few weeks ago that whether we like goals or not, there are some things in life that are more important than others. Sometimes we only recognize that after we haven't done them. Uh, but we realize there are some things that are more important. And we looked at the answers that Jesus gave as um, he was asked that question. Of course, he had two answers. Uh, the first one is what we would expect from Jesus, and that is that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And that was really the question that was posed to Jesus, and that was the answer we would expect him to give. The challenge comes in that Jesus didn't stop there. As we've looked these last few weeks, he said, but there's part B. There's another part of that answer, and you need to hear that one as well. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, this is Jim Connor translation. This is a step beyond the message. Uh, lo love your neighbor in the same way and to the same degree that you would love yourself. But I think that accurately reflects Jesus' intent. Just as much as we love ourselves, and we all do, we need to care about that neighbor. And it's been interesting in my own mind as I've worked on these sermons and how Jesus gives two parts to one question, or in some ways two answers to one question, and why it's so important that he added that second part. One of the simple analogies that struck me this week is any of us as parents would feel that same way. If you think about it, if, if you and I are friends and you see one of my kids in trouble or a flat tire or anything going on in their lives, if we're really friends and you know that's my kid, I wouldn't even question that you would help my kid. Why? Because they're my kid and we are friends. Well, in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. If you really love God, then of course you're going to love his kids. How in the world could you be a good friend and not care about my friend's kids? Well, in God's eyes, the people around us are also his kids. Created in his image, he loves them, he died for them, they matter to him. And so Jesus said, you know, you just got to face, they need to matter to you too. Because you love God. Those two go together. So then, of course, that brings us to that whole discussion of our neighbors and who they are and why they matter to God. And I like the word neighbors, but I don't want you to, as we talk about who our neighbors are and how we're going to respond to our neighbors, please understand that that is a bigger group or that there are multiple neighbors we have. Can I say multiple neighborhoods? Obviously, there is a physical neighborhood we all live in. There's houses around us, streets, all of that. Those are our neighbors. But you see, if we have a place we work and there's 15, 20 people around us where we work, guess what? That's another neighborhood we have. There are neighbors as well. If my buddy talks me into signing up and playing on a softball team this spring, guess what? I just gained a new neighborhood. Those people on that ball team are, are, my, are my neighbors. In God's eyes, in, in what we're talking about here, love your neighbors yourself. I was thinking about some different neighborhoods. If, if you're in a quilting group or a craft group, guess what? Welcome to a new neighborhood. 
you start to see how it goes on and on. Most of you here with grade school and high school kids, guess what? You got another neighborhood. You sit beside him at every game, every practice. And it goes on and on and on. And you also have tons of time sitting forever. Those sports parents, guess what? Welcome to a neighborhood. You, I, I just want you to see the, the possibilities of the neighbors around us. And God cares about them. Your neighborhood matters to God. Every one of those neighborhoods matter to him. This is a long passage, but read along with me because there's some great stuff in it. There's three paragraphs in here, and there's sort of a progression in the paragraphs, and I want you to capture that. First paragraph starts with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another because, for, love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So the first paragraph, the first thought John wants us to capture is that God is all about love. He is the source of love. And if we're going to spend any time with God, it's going to rub off on us. Because he is just this overflowing source of love. Now that caused the next paragraph, verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, stop there. So in 9 and 10, John says this God who is just unlimited love couldn't help but loving us. And so what did he do? He sent Jesus to die for us so that his love would just come into our lives, remove our sins, give us grace so that we could become his children. So now the love of God has come to us, step two. But there's another paragraph. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His love is made complete in us. So that third paragraph, John says, okay, this God who is all about love couldn't help but love us, and that's why Jesus came to earth, so that love of God came into our lives and changed us, saved us, transformed us. We are now God's children, but there is a third step, and that is that that love is not only to save us, that love is to change our perspective to these neighbors all around us so that we love them. And that last phrase, if you don't walk out of here with anything else today, I hope you will walk out of here with that last phrase. God's love is made complete in us when we are loving the others around us. Now, if that's true, then the kicker is the reverse of that phrase. 
if we're not loving those around us, God's love to them is incomplete. We are the final piece, and there's multiple ways that complete can be used in the Bible, but I think the most common use of it, it's not like it's unfinished, but it's all assembled. All the pieces are in place. The puzzle is finished. The Lego building is done. And the last pieces are not God's love. That's been there. What God did in his love on, on the cross in Jesus, that's finished. The final pieces that need to be assembled so that God's love is complete is our passing on that love of God. And then for them who, who receives this love through me, through you, your neighbors, then God's love to them is complete as they experience it through, the, through us. And that's why we talked about being good neighbors and what that means. Just not physically being around them, going to work around them, sitting in the, ball, in the stands at the ball game beside them. But it means getting to know them, caring about them. Remember this chart you loved? Where we ask ourselves, do we actually even know their names? And it's so been fun to hear some of your comments. You've, you've enriched me. I had somebody come up and I said, okay, I finally went over and met him. You just kept haunting me. I had to do something. Good, good. But then not only just knowing them, making the effort to learn some basic things about them. Maybe some things that have gone off and on in their lives or maybe some past hurts or maybe some dreams. Just anything about beyond their name, their kids' names that that is a part of us caring. Because we can't care if we don't even know them. And what we're going to see today is that knowing is so important because of the possibilities it opens up to us so that we can make a difference in their life and show them God's love. You see, it's caring plus knowing allows us to act. If we don't care or if we don't know them, how do we act? But if we care and we know, now we can do something with that knowledge. We can complete God's love. Because now I know my neighbor's names and I know something that's going on in their lives. And maybe there is a way that I can help them. In a sense, this is how Jesus lived. It, it, he came to earth, we use that phrase out of the message, John 1.14, he moved into the neighborhood. I, I, I just love that picture. But if you think about it, that's what Jesus did. He left heaven, Philippians 2, and came to earth, took on the form of a servant, and moved into the neighborhood. And when he saw people who were blind, he helped them. When they needed food, he helped them. When they were an outcast and nobody talked to them, he would. He was just walking around the neighborhood. And as he saw people, he stopped, he noticed them, and he talked to them, and he helped them. And that's what he did for us. And that's why our lives are changed, and he asks us to do it too. As I said, it's our turn. 
Turn over to 1 John 4, if you would. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Um, I want to go a little bit, but notice 21. He's given us this command. What, what command did Jesus give us? Matthew 22, love your neighbors yourself. I think that's a direct reference back to Jesus' answer. The second command is this, love your neighbors yourself. That's the command he's given us. Whoever claims to then go back a couple verses here in 1 John, we're guilty of hating our brother. Now, I think a lot of us would say, well, I don't hate my brother. I just don't know them. But if you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, that priest and Levite that walked around and left the person laying didn't do anything. They didn't hurt them. Maybe they would have justified, well, I didn't hurt them. I don't hate them. But I think we would all say, yeah, they did hate them because they didn't care. They didn't stop in hell. And that's the same as hating them. And that's what John says here, that we are called to love them. Now, the, the beauty of all this is the truth is actions speak louder than word. Teresa, I'm going to let you do this, okay? I'm not, it's not working for me today. I think this is so important for us to capture today because of the cynical age we live in. We don't believe people anymore, do we? We don't believe their words. If somebody says something on TV, it's like, oh, yeah, right. A politician says something, oh, right. Uh, but it, it's really throughout our culture. We don't believe words anymore. We always have that skeptical, cynical attitude of, yeah, I'll, I'll bet. But you know what we still believe? We believe actions. If I see somebody do something, I'll believe it. And oftentimes, when you do something, I will believe you. We say that all the time. The one thing that still works in a cynical, skeptical culture is actions. Not words, actions. And that's what Jesus and John and throughout this is calling us to see what we do in caring about them as neighbors. Not saying I go to church and I love you, neighbor. And they would probably write that off in a, in a heartbeat. But if they see us living that out, then they start to believe that. Actions are always more powerful than words. And I think that's part of Jesus' challenge to us. Now, this is a stretch for me. It, and I'm sure it's a stretch for all of us. But it really is a new way of thinking. I counted up, and this May, I will have been a pastor for 44 years. 44, I got ordained. And I, oh, and it's not. One of the things I've learned in that 44 years is I love programs. That's why I'm still doing what I do. I hear about a new program, a new ministry, and it's like, oh, yeah. And I just start salivating. It's like, okay, how can we... Bring that program home. And, 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 and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. I, I see that. This isn't a program. 
In other words, if you're waiting for the sermon where I'm going to sit here and give you, okay, now go home and to be a good neighbor, here are the five things you do. It's not coming. And for those of you who like programs and checklists, I'm sorry. I know that will stretch you. But what this is, it is a way of thinking and living. And here's what is so exciting about it. I'm not kidding you, and it's not a sales pitch. Because what it does is it puts us in active engagement with the Spirit of God who's working. And He's helping us see as we go to work or in the neighborhood or whatever. And He's opening our eyes to people. And then maybe prompting us to do something as we hear something. And it's much more dynamic and living. And it's something, I hate the catchphrase, organic, that is just sort of growing and happening as we live life. And while that may be scary, it is also the potential and the possibilities and the freshness it adds to our faith. You see, I realize in my love for programs and ministries, programs and ministries after a time can make one's faith stale. I just go back through my checklist again. And I've been doing this every day or every week or every spring for all these years. And there can be a staleness that creeps into that. But when we launch out into uncharted waters with God's spirit directing us and our own mind and heart that God's given us, and we start meeting with people and interacting with people, your prayer life will grow, I guarantee, because you're going to be talking to God. Your sense of spirit, lead me in this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do or say. And all of that is going to just go up many notches. And there is an excitement in your spiritual life that may not have ever been there before. You see, this begins with them. This neighbor that you're going to run into. And as you get to know them, and right now everything may be great in their life, and it's just, wow, good for you. And you just get to be better friends together. But I'll guarantee as you meet your neighbors, there are going to be some of those neighbors at work, wherever. Life's not working for them. And as you get to know them, you may learn some of those details of what's not working for them. And that's when God starts working because beside them is you and your knowledge, your abilities, your resources, your network. All that you bring to the table. And what God does and what the Spirit wants to do is where those two overlap, you have an opportunity to complete God's love to them. As you translate that love the Father has that He has passed on to you through Christ and He wants you to now pass it on to them And you have a wonderful opportunity to do that. Where their need and your abilities intersect. And I can't program that for you. No book can do that. It is a living, ongoing process as you meet people. But I want you to see with God's help how exciting that could be. As you maybe just get to know somebody. 
or you help in some way. Let me suggest for you three um, sort of levels to think about this on, to see possibilities around you, if I could. Um, I don't want to take credit for this. This is, uh, I ran across it from Rocky Mountain Christian Church in, I think, Boulder. The three levels are go small, just go, and go big. So I just, just to prime your pump of thinking about the possibilities around you and your neighbors. The first one is just um, go small. Um, get to know the neighbors around you, the things we've been talking about. Not a big deal. Make the effort to walk across the street. When you get home, don't just close the garage door. If you see a neighbor in the yard, go talk to them. If at work, you usually just sort of stay in your cubicle and work during break, don't do that. Go somewhere and have a cup of coffee with the others or eat lunch with them. Whatever it may be, if you're at the uh, sports practice, don't just sit off in the corner and work in your tablet. Not that you would ever do that. Take your chair and go sit next to some people and meet them and start talking to them. Let's go small. It's not a big deal, but it's how it begins. And you start talking to people, and it may be the third or fourth conversation before you learn anything about them. It takes time. This is an investment. And we're planting and watering seeds and, and praying. Because that's one of the things you can do under Go Small. Is you can just pray for somebody. You don't have to tell them you're praying for them. There may be times to tell them that, that's appropriate. But you can start praying for them right away. Those are little things that you can do. Just don't be too busy. Notice people and make that effort. Then go a little bit bigger. I think the difference with just go is in the sense of you don't need a plan. Maybe it's blowing an extra driveway this afternoon. Or maybe you did that this morning. Or a couple. Maybe it's inviting people over for a cookout in the spring when the snow's melted and we start doing cookouts. Maybe it's having some people over to watch a game. Maybe it's seeing somebody working hard on something and you just stop and help them. Or it's simply an offer of, hey, hey, can I do that for you? I know you're super busy or I know you got relatives coming into town. Hey, it's okay. Uh, let me help you. Just an unplanned thing. Just let it happen as you see opportunities. But if you're like me, the work on our end is that we're so busy and we have so many things on our to-do list. It's telling ourselves, wait a minute, this is important. It's important to God. Some of those things on my to-do list can wait. So I make time to stop and offer somebody some help. Just let that spontaneously happen. Just go. And of course, the third one is go big. And this is where we do try and organize something. Maybe it's just for fun. Organize a cookout. Get everybody on the block together. Maybe it's helping somebody. Getting some friends and say, hey, you know, this, this person is stuck with something broke at their house. Will you come over? We're gonna, help me fix it. We're going to fix them. And you, and you get a couple people and you go over and you fix something. Or you coordinate some meals when somebody's having a hard time or 
you got company in town and, and you get together and get a couple people and help them out. Whatever it might be, yet you get a few others involved. It takes a little more planning, but the impact is usually much bigger as well. I was reading, uh, in reading about this whole neighboring and some books talking about it, ran across a story and it was a family in a church who'd gotten convicted of this need to neighbor, had gotten to know the neighborhood. And they started getting together as neighbors. A lot of them didn't go to church. And they were all together having a cookout. And the kids were all playing in the backyard. And a beam fell off one of those big play area things. Killed a four-year-old girl of one of the families. Unchurched family. And you can't make that tragedy go away. But because of that neighboring mentality that had been built in, the neighborhood all came around and stood with that family as they grieved, as they were in crisis. Food was brought in, child care was given. Family was flying in from out of town and the neighbors said, hey, you're gonna stay with me. And so some neighbors were kept, some family were kept over at this home, some family were kept over at this home. Throughout that whole journey of pain, these neighbors all came together. And that all was started, and a catalyst driving it was this church family. They had no church, so the church did the funeral. And a week later, the father of that little child called the pastor and said, I need to come talk to you. And the pastor told the story, and the dad sits up down and the first, first words out of his mouth were, what's going on here? I, I need to understand what's going on here. And he said, I've had friends before, but never like this. I got people offering housing. I got people bringing meals. I got people, every time I turn around, all these people are coming and caring. And, and what's going on here? And the pastor explained. God's call to us to love our neighbors and this family is just trying to love you as your neighbor. That family is now going to church and there's a con spiritual conversation going on with his dad that was never interested in Christianity before. And even in the death of his child, some good things are coming out of that because people understood the power of being a neighbor. And what I think Jesus is so genius about is that every one of us in this room has that power in our hands. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to be extroverted. You don't have to be any, every one of us. It'll look different. God wants it to look different. The quietest one in this room will love their neighbor in a different way than I will. And God says, great, that's how I need. You quiet neighbors, I got some plans for you. I need you to love in this way. And you chatty neighbors, great. I got some ways I'm going to have you love in this way. 
And if you can cook, I want you to love a neighbor in this way. And if you can fix something, I want you to love a neighbor in this way. I'm going to use you. Just open your eyes and get to know the neighbors around you. And as you get to know the neighbors around you, you're going to have opportunities to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's in doing that that Jesus says, the love of God will be completed to that neighbor as you love them, as you care for them, as you help them. I want to close with a question that is painful. I honestly don't like the answer I got myself. But the question was too important. The question is this. If you moved out of your neighborhood tomorrow, would you be missed? How have you cared and loved your neighbors? I think a majority of the folks in my neighborhood wouldn't even miss me. I'm convicted of that. I want to do something about that. I hope you'll ask your, some of you will be way more missed in your neighborhood. But I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Depending on how you answer that, here's the challenge. The challenge that I want to take, I hope you'll take. And that is this. To be the best neighbors to be the best neighbor your neighbors have ever had. That we can all do. To try and be the best neighbor our neighbors have ever had. That has the power to let us be God's love completed to them. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. It is that love that Jesus completed by coming to earth that has changed our lives forever, and we are so glad he came. Help us understand that you need us to do the same, and that it's through us loving our neighbors that your love will be completed to them. Uh, Father, that is, that is a very stiff challenge but you'll help us. And I thank you for that, and we need that help. Your spirit guiding us, you working, your word, us praying. With your help, Father, we can do that. Help us accept that challenge and to be the best neighbors we can be to our neighbors. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.